Hey everyone, and welcome to Cozying Up with the Clear Cut, where we get up close and personal with women that inspire us. This week, we're cozying up with Alexandra Dorda, the founder of Kasama, the woman behind the new D2C alcohol brand, Kasama Rum. We discuss how her Filipina Polish background influenced her brand, the ups and downs of running a business, and the best engagement ring and drink pairings. and welcome to Cozying Up with the Clear Cut, where we get up close and personal with women that inspire us. Today, I'm so excited to be sitting down with Alexandra Dorda. She is the founder of Kasama Rum. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. So when you were younger and growing up, what did you want to be when you grew up? I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So both of my parents um, had their own businesses my whole life. And so I always wanted to have a business of my own. And I had many businesses as a child. You did. <laughs> I did. Um, so I always knew I wanted to start my own business. I wasn't sure exactly what that was going to be. Um, there was a time when I said, my, my dad has a vodka brand. And I was like, I'm never going to go into the alcohol business. And then I did. Why did you not want to go into it? Just because he was in it? Or did you see things that, you know, didn't excite you? I don't know. I mean, I, I think at the time I was a child, so I didn't, I didn't, no yes yeah. <laughs> and I and I didn't drink obviously um but it is a really tough business and I I don't know I was just like I'm, I want to do my own thing mm-hmm. but here I am I think that um a lot of times you end up being like your parents in some way and so I sort of followed followed my my father's career in some way into the alcohol space what were some of your childhood businesses that you started in so <laughs> my mom <laughs> My mom's office in Los Angeles had this orange tree in the back, and so I would climb the tree really high, actually. It was quite dangerous (laughs) looking back um, with my friends, and we would sell the oranges on the street. That was one. That's very entrepreneurial. Yeah, thank you. There was, um, we traveled a lot when I was a child, and so I would sometimes buy different things in different countries, like jewelry or like accessories, and then I'd sell them to my classmates. (laughs) Um, What else? I had an egg business. An egg business. (laughs) they were really free range at our distillery in poland we had chickens for a while Uh and um i would take the eggs and sell them to people for really really high prices (laughs) (laughs) like in the like area in poland yeah like to people that i knew okay were they like interested in doing you like a favor no they were very interested i mean these were like you know everything's about like organic free range Mm -hmm. etc etc and these were i had videos of my chickens and like how free range they were wow (laughs) how old were you when you were in your egg business i don't want to say it was was pretty recent (laughs) <laughs> I mean, because it sounds like there's a lot going on in there. I was like, I can't, I couldn't picture like a actually, seven-year-old. This was a few years ago. I was working. <laughs> I was actually working at a private equity fund when I would sell it to my colleagues. Oh my God, that's really funny. I mean, that's really, really guys, funny. The, the cash on cash was really good. It I mean, I would pay a lot for some business. like real free range eggs. They were a, a euro an egg. Oh, wow. That's, that's pricey, right? It's a lot. Yeah. I tried to pretend that that was something I did in my childhood. It's not. Okay. I did it a few years ago. Well, that's great. You explored lots of different businesses before landing on rum. Can you kind of walk us through your entrepreneurial journey, like prior to, you know, how you got to founding your company? Yeah. So as I said, my dad um, has been in this business for a long time. Um, He co-founded two... So he's from Poland. Mm -hmm. And he 
basically created the luxury vodka category by he partnered with um, his business partner in the early 90s to bring super premium vodka to the United States. And so they co-founded the, the brands Chopin Vodka and then Belvedere Vodka. And we're no longer involved with Belvedere, but we still own Chopin 100% and everything is uh, crafted at our family owned distillery in Eastern Poland. And for him, it's really about sort of elevating vodka as sort of the national spirit of Poland and sort of sharing that with the world. And so we actually moved to Poland. We had been living in California. We moved to Poland when I was 12 years old so he could get more involved in the business. That's when we purchased our distillery. And so I literally grew up at the distillery, going to the distillery, and also seeing both of my parents um, develop the business. My mother worked there at the time as well. So mm -hmm. I saw them developing brands and they would bring home samples and bottles and labels. And and I'm a very neat person and it always really bothered me that our kitchen was full of these tiny little bottles of like different products that they were working on. I was like, why can't it just be more neat? Like, and now my kitchen's the same way. <laughs> I have all my little sample bottles that I'm always carrying around. Um, but I just, yeah, so I sort of, I really grew up in that business because I was an only child. Mm -hmm. and sort of I'm an only child too. Oh, you are? Mm-hmm. We're, we a, we're a breed of our own. We're both half Asian only children. Half Asian, half European yeah. only children who followed our dad's careers. Oh <laughs> yeah, oh my <laughs> God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. So um, I just sort of got more involved as I got older. I actually um, uh, interned at our distributor when I was in college. So that mm -hmm. was the very unglamorous job of like unloading boxes of alcohol in, you know, Costco's and CVS's at <laughs> literally five o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. But it was instrumental in sort of understanding how the business works, but it was, it was so sore. I've never been that sore <laughs> in my whole life. Um, and then after college, I went to work at Chobani Yogurt, which was, it was 2013. It was such an amazing time to be there. And I specifically chose Chobani because it was such an amazing story of sort of creating a category and creating a real brand in the food space mm -hmm. and making, you know, they made Greek yogurt a thing in the U.S., which it hadn't been. And I had the most amazing two years at Chobani. Then I went to work at a private equity fund, also had my egg business on the side. <laughs> <laughs> and it was while I was at the private equity firm that I started, I basically dreamed up Kasama when I was there. Um, it was a, you know, for, private equity was not for me. It's very dry. We were investing in really boring asset-backed businesses in Eastern Europe, like grain silos and mm -hmm. um, highways and things like that. And it was very, very dry for me. And so I needed a creative outlet. And I basically came up with the idea for Kasama while halfway through my time there and worked on it secretly on the side for two years mm -hmm. before I brought it to life. And then we launched soft launch at the end of 2020 and launched it really last year. So how did the idea like come to you to create, you know, your rum company? Like what inspired you? So it was a combination of things. It was first of all, just having been in the industry for so long and observing spirits mm -hmm. as a category from an inappropriately young age. <laughs> I realized that the rum category, first of all, I loved rum, always loved a tropical cocktail. And I realized that the rum category was really lagging behind other categories. So it, you know, it, it hasn't had its moment kind of, it hasn't become popular yet mm -hmm. in the mainstream, I think, you know, unlike whiskey, unlike tequila, unlike gin. And I thought the reason for that was that it's very stuck on these nautical tropes, right? There are the captain rums and the sailor rums and the galleon ship rums and the parrot rums yeah. and the sea monster rums. And I was like, I just don't think that that's 
that's not certainly speaking to me, and I don't think it's going to speak to a lot of people who are, you know, in my my social group or in my mm-hmm. age group. Like that, I have no desire to be a pirate. Like, why is every single rum mm-hmm. about that? And I thought that was sort of an interesting gap in the market. What's like? Where does Bacardi <clears throat> fit in the rum space? Because like, I feel like the last time I drank it was like throwing up Bacardi Raz like in high school. And like never, yeah. never drink yeah, it again. I think that's a common experience. So Bacardi <laughs> is the second largest rum brand in the world. The but it's lo- different than like the Captain Morgan it is, and stuff. It is, but it's still like a very, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a heritage brand. I would say it's a very old brand. Mm-hmm. It's a very big brand. All those things are great, but I think our generation cares so much about why something exists and mm-hmm. the story behind it, and we like to support smaller businesses and entrepreneurs, and. I also, at the same time as have thinking, oh, like rum is a sleepy, weird category. Why is yeah. it that way? I also learned that the Philippines, which is where my mom is from, is actually the second largest rum producing country in the world. Wow. The largest rum brand in the world is not Bacardi. It's a brand from the Philippines. Oh. And so I had this aha moment where I was like, okay, I can create a rum and I can make it all about the Philippines, which is a country that I'm so I'm obsessed with it and I'm so proud to be from there and I think we have such an interesting culture that I thought would translate really well into a brand and so that yeah that realization came in 2018 and then I I worked on it very slowly for a long time how did your parents meet if your mom's from Philippines and your dad's from Poland I'm always curious they met in London Mm -hmm. my dad was studying there at the time he was getting his MBA and then my mom was there on vacation with some friends she was a stewardess in the 70s I mean that was really very chic yes to do and they met, they met through mutual friends. Oh, awesome. So your rum now is made in the Philippines, but then you package it in your distillery in Poland, That's right? Correct. It is distilled and aged in the Philippines. And then we bring it to Poland, to Eastern Poland, to our tiny distillery where we, yeah, blend it, bottle it, and then send it all over the world. So we're currently available here in the U.S., in Poland, we just launched in Australia last month, and I just got a message today that we're going to be launching in Luxembourg soon. Oh, exciting! <laughs> I'll take it. But I think you're so right. I never thought about it, but there are so many like cool, like small, like tequila brands, let's say, like that mm-hmm. I see every single day um, launching up. But you're right, that rum category, and I love drinking rum, and I think it's delicious. But there aren't many options for it. There aren't many options, and I. To me, when I when I was looking at the category and realized that it was all about this sort of nautical, very antiquated... It's thing. weird that it's a nautical thing. Yeah. Well, I think there, <laughs> there, there is a lot... I think there is a strong history between the nautical industry and rum. Mm-hmm. But what's weird to me is that that was the only thing right. that the rum category was talking about. And to me, it's like we look at brands like Away now mm-hmm. and we're like, oh my God, how obvious was it to make a luggage brand about travel? Yeah. Um, instead of, you know, the specs of the suitcase, Mm -hmm. right? And I sort of thought there was that opportunity too. I was like, why is nobody doing a lifestyle brand about the beautiful tropical place that the rum comes from? Mm -hmm. That seemed incredibly obvious to me. And I first had the idea and I was terrified. I thought, oh my God, somebody has done this. I just haven't found it. Or somebody's going to do this any day now. So I set a daily Google alert for rum. And every day I woke up in terror (laughs) that that would be the day when when this cool rum brand would launch. And that day just never came, which I blows my mind. 
Besides like the branding, are there differences in terms of like taste that make it unique from other rum brands? Yeah. So rum is just like any other spirit and it does have terroir based on the ingredients and based on, um, you know, the strain of sugarcane that you're using and the climate of that place. What a lot of people also don't know about rum is that sugarcane is native to Southeast Asia, Mm -hmm. actually, not to the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And so we have some of the best sugarcane in the world in the Philippines. Um, And so that combined with our our tropical climate, the volcanic soil that we have, um, it it leads to a super tasty rum that's also very approachable. It's very light. It's great for sipping, but also good for tropical cocktails. And to me, it's all about approachability and creating a rum that sort of brings people back into the category, people who maybe last had rum when they were in college in a horrible punch bowl. Yeah. (laughs) And sort of makes them realize that it can be sipped or it can be, you know, consumed in a really simple and, and delicious cocktail. And yours is like a dark rum, right? It's a it's a golden rum, mm-hmm. I'd say. It, it is quite golden. And it, there are darker rums and then there are lighter rums and we're sort of in the middle. And, and that was intentional to, to play to, you know, to people who have both preferences. And what are some challenges you faced, um, you know, launching your business, you know, being in the alcohol industry as a woman, um, anything like in particular that stands out? So many, <laughs> so many challenges. I think, first of all, people think that the alcohol business is very glamorous and very high margin. And it is neither of those things. So one, you know, one thing is it's it's a lot of literally pounding the pavement and going from store to store with my little sample bag and like my sell sheet and trying to convince liquor store owners who've never heard of you that they should carry a brand. The margins are terrible because of something called the three-tier system in the United States where a producer can only sell to a wholesaler, a wholesaler can only sell to a retailer, so that's like a bar or a restaurant, and only they can sell to an end consumer. So, so there's no like direct consumer alcohol. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say there's none. There are some local rules based on, for example, I think if you have a distillery in the United States, you can sell some amount to people who visit your distillery. But but for the most part, as and as an imported spirit, no. Hmm, interesting. No yeah. I feel We're, like that's ripe for disruption. I agree, except for it is it is a law. Mm. So that's the challenge. <laughs> Gotta lobby it out. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of people who obviously want to keep this as a mm-hmm. law. So that's another thing. And then also just there are so many big players in our industry, the Bacardis of the world. You know, you're dealing with these large multinationals that have huge budgets. And I'm this tiny, tiny little thing. And, and so it's difficult to sort of make enough noise to get people to pay attention to you. And I would say that those are the, the biggest challenges that we face on a daily basis. What advice would you give to someone who is interested in like breaking into the alcohol or spirits industry? I would say you need to learn about it deeply. And I think the best way, one of the best ways to do that, like I said, for me was I I interned at the distributor Mm -hmm. for a summer. And that was really, really eye-opening to understand um, what it is that they're facing so that as a small brand, you can convince them to, to carry you and you can... Um, understand what their day-to-day looks like as well um what it's like to you know pitch your pitch your alcohol you know in liquor store x that like literally wishes that you would leave i think that's you know something that people don't realize that it's like so i would say definitely learn about the business learn about the three-tier system and all the regulatory environment um 
that's my biggest tip. So would you say it's easier to sell alcohol like outside of the U.S.? In some places. So for example, in Poland, we don't have that. So my father's company, we can sell, we have our own sales team and we can sell directly to consumers mm -hmm. and we can sell directly to bars, restaurants, hotels, liquor stores, etc. So in a way that does make it easier because I have people who come to me today and they're like, oh, I'm having a wedding and I love Kassam and I'd love to buy so like, a, yeah. you know, a bunch of cases from you for the wedding. And I'm like, that sounds great, but I actually can't sell it to you. It's wow. not legal for me to do so. So it's really... It's, a, it's frustrating, especially because it's a D2C world, so everyone thinks that you can buy direct. Yeah, and, of course. Um, you cannot do that in our industry. So there's, like, tons of barriers to entry, at least, like, to entering the U.S. market. So many, yes. You know, licensing issues, regulatory issues. You know, there are very small things, like, in some states, you're not allowed to pull samples of your mm -hmm. own product. So I sometimes have to buy, if I want to give someone a sample, I will buy it at a liquor store. <laughs> oh, my God. So I'm paying a lot of other people to get my... Yeah, so it's um, very challenging and lots of barriers to entry for sure. Hey everyone, Olivia here. Hope you're enjoying our episode. Our clear-cut collection features fine jewelry pieces inspired and designed with you in mind. Our collection is ever-changing and each piece is handmade and made to order here in New York City. Don't forget to check it out and use the code COZY, C-O-Z-Y, for free shipping on any purchase. What do your parents think about you going into the alcohol and spirits business with them being in it? Did they like always, are they like proud? Are they happy that you went into it or did they not want you to go into the industry? I think both. Okay. <laughs> I think both at different times. But there was definitely a time when my dad was trying to discourage me from joining um, partially because I think he was worried that I just was doing it because of him mm -hmm. and that I wasn't necessarily interested in my own, you know, on my own. Um, but now that I'm here, I think, I think that they are happy. Like I said, they're both entrepreneurs. And so that's a value that we really hold dear. And so I think that they're happy to see me on an entrepreneurial journey. Um, my mom's really proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's great. She's one of my biggest cheerleaders and, um, and both of them are super, super helpful to the business. And I'm very happy to be able to go to them for advice and support in various ways. What um, are some, what are some reasons you think like your rum has taken off and has had success and has broken into, you know, the market so easily? Well, I don't think we've broken in so easily. Um, I think, but I, to answer your question, I think it's two things. I think, first of all, it's just such a sleepy category. Mm -hmm. And so I think we've been able to get a lot of press mm -hmm. around the fact that it's like something new and fresh mm -hmm. in, a, in a really tired category. I personally think that alcohol in general is a very high interest category with really low interest brands. Yeah. By and large, there are some, but um, not that many and not those legacy brands. So I think that was that's one. And the second thing is is that as a, a friend put it to me recently, Filipinos really show up for each other. And that's definitely my base. And it's so amazing to have um, this group of people, which is Filipinos all over the country, some of whom I've met, some of whom I who whom I haven't, who are very, very passionate about the brand. Mm -hmm. And they buy it, they share it on social media, they tell their friends, um, they connect me to 
business owners that they know. Like I had someone reach out to me recently and she's like, God, someone's my favorite rum. I love it so much. Like I have a friend who owns a bar in Brooklyn. You need to meet him. Let me connect to you. And this is someone I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Right. So to, I think it's, it's to have that built in base of people has certainly made it a lot easier. And especially in those moments where I'm like, Oh my God, this is terrible. And why did I do this? And I get, you know, and then sometimes I get like a message being like, I love what you're doing. I love how you're representing our culture in this modern way. And it really keeps me going. And uh, there's so many different, I think, like, so many different alcohol companies that have been popping up. A lot of them are, like, canned, like, mm-hmm. like sparkling mm-hmm. wines or whatnot. What do you see the future of, like, the alcohol industry being? Because I feel like there have been these, like, major players that have, like, been there and, like, that is what it is. And recently you've been seeing more disruption happening, mm-hmm. more, like, new cool brands popping up in different categories. But what do you see happening in the next like couple years yeah it's a very interesting category because like i said it's full of these huge multinationals yeah. but they know that they are not very good at innovation and so what happens basically is there are tons of these small brands and we're like battling it out and then every now and then one of them gets acquired by these big companies mm-hmm. and the valuations are fantastic mm-hmm. but like it you know those are very few and far between mm-hmm. and i personally think for the foreseeable future it will continue to be like that just because it's such an expensive industry in which to do business. So I think for the foreseeable future, the multinationals will prevail. But for me, I think that there are so many opportunities as being a young woman in a very historically male-dominated industry. And, you know, like Kasama, like, I, there was such a huge gap in the market because, you know, very, that's very natural. Men were creating brands that they identified with. Yeah. And I'm grateful because they left a gaping hole in the rum market that a 28-year-old who had done, like, you know, no, not no formal, I had a formal experience, but I guess I had done no formal surveys or, Mm -hmm. you know, consumer insight work. And I was like, this is so obvious to me. And I think that there are other categories in which that's the case. Mm -hmm. And so my, for me, my long-term plan is to keep launching brands that I think are interesting and exciting and um I basically just make brands for myself and then I hope that other people like them as well what's um Kasama mean is there like a meaning behind the name yeah it means together in Filipino together or companion it's sort of about being together and I think that really speaks to the ethos of the brand and what I love about the industry which is at the best of times Mm -hmm. alcohol brings people together you you know it's it's a celebration um, it's very fun. So it means together and it speaks to that ethos of conviviality. And of course, like being a female entrepreneur in such like an established male dominated industry, of course, there are like challenges. But what are have you found any benefits to being someone like new and fresh or have there been like more barriers to entry than benefits? Um, there are both. First of all, I'm not very sensitive in some ways, so I think there there are a lot of weird comments that you can get yeah. and lots and lots of times where I'm the only woman in the room. And to me, I'm personally fine with that. I think because I grew up in the industry, like I'm, it's just normal to me. Um, but no, I think, I think the benefit is just what I said. It's like, thank you so much for leaving the rum category as it was. Mm-hmm. And, I have, I'm planning to do a whiskey next. And oh. I think, and I'm like, again, thank you so much for leaving With, this opportunity. There's, there is room in the whiskey market for sure. Yeah. Yes. So what is your plan for the next five to 10 years? Like what exciting things can we be seeing from you? And what that you can share with us? Yeah. So I, 
I my plan is to keep launching brands. I don't have sort of specific dates in mind. The whiskey I do plan to launch at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And then I have a lot of other brands. I have a portfolio of brands in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I have another rum brand in my mind. I have another whiskey brand in my mind. I have a gin brand. I have a sort of sparkling um, can like RTD in my mind. And my problem is that I come up with them too often and then get really excited and then yeah. have a hard time concentrating. Mm-hmm. So I think it's um it's going to be some version of launching more brands that I hope will be disruptive in their respective categories and be, you know, exciting to to a younger generation. And just like alcohol from the Philippines can kind of bring up like memories or feelings so can jewelry yes so this is my transition (laughs) to jewelry um so we i think that jewelry is like really special too similar because you can have a lot of like sentimental and emotional meaning behind pieces um so is there like a specific piece of jewelry that is extra special to you and why yes it is these earrings that i'm wearing Mm -hmm. um my mother always had she always She's very practical and she doesn't wear a lot of jewelry, but she always had diamond studs Mm -hmm. every day. And then when I was 25, she gave me these ones because she got nicer, better ones. So so were those hers? (laughs) These are hers. Okay. So she wore them for a long time and I really wanted them. And then when I was 25, she gave them to me and it was a present to me, but it was really a present to her. Yeah. So that she could get the nicer, better ones. Um, And I also just wear them every day. And I know that there's so many trends of like the gold hoops and whatever. And I just always wear these earrings. Well, I think like diamond studs are like a staple. You can put them on and they just like become a part of you and you don't have to think about it. And they look good with everything. That's true. And they don't also, I don't like hoops because I feel like they might catch on things. Mm -hmm. And that's a a fear of mine that's probably not you know commensurate to the actual risk of it but i'm like a hoop might catch like these will these are firmly in place and i like that yeah those are secure so we want to play a little game with diamonds and cocktails oh my gosh okay we have three different types of engagement rings here (laughs) (laughs) and the prompt is what kind of cocktail um fits this ring like so what type of like what type of person who would wear this ring what would be their cocktail of choice okay so it's about the person and the personality it's not like a visual aspect yeah like the person who's wearing this engagement ring what's their cocktail of choice okay so let's start with this one this is a 5.3 carat oval set in just a simple gold band I'm seeing a wine drinker here. Mm. I feel like it's a feminine kind of classic lady Mm -hmm. who loves her rosé. Rosé wine. Outside. Okay. She loves an alfresco moment. Who doesn't? (laughs) Who doesn't? I can't wait for my, like, alfresco rosé moment. It's coming soon. Okay, next is this... 10 carat cushion cut set in a platinum band with pave diamonds down it. It's a little bright. Okay, so blingy. this is a flashy lady. Yeah. This is a, you guys, I know you can't see this at home. This is a huge diamond ring. Um, <laughs> so I feel like this is a, a Vegas moment maybe. Mm-hmm. And she is drinking, I want to say a margarita. A margarita, just a normal margarita? No, like a high class margarita. <laughs> 
really, What's a high class margarita? Like really good quality tequila. Okay. Yeah. It's like a Don Julio margarita. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel like I want to, if I have Don Julio, I want to just drink it straight. I would not put it in a margarita. I'm not a tequila person, so I just don't want to drink Don Julio at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this ring is not for you. This <laughs> ring is not for me. <laughs> That's what you're trying to say. No. Okay. Last but not least, we have a seven carat emerald cut with tapered baguettes. Okay, so I feel like this is a some like a classy lady, mm-hmm. and I feel like she's drinking a vodka martini mm-hmm. made with Chopin vodka, <laughs> <laughs> like a dirty martini or like yeah, like a slightly dirty martini. She has a very specific martini call. She likes her olives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you, hundred percent on this one or on yeah. all of them. Definitely on this one. This is like what a about no. the other ones? Yeah, I could see it. You disagree? I no, I totally agree. I feel like this one could even be like, like a daiquiri in Vegas or something. But do you feel like a daiquiri says Vegas? Like a daiquiri is more Miami, I guess. Or like, no, you're right. But I totally agree with that one. Awesome. Thanks for playing. What's your favorite drink of choice? Depends where I am. Mm-hmm. So. Love, like I said, love a tropical cocktail. I love Kasama. I love a classic daiquiri in Miami. Okay. <laughs> or anywhere else. Um, or I like a, a Filipino, I call it a Filipino daiquiri. So instead of lime, it's this Filipino citrus called calamansi. It's better than lime. Super tasty. Gotta try it. Or <laughs> a Chopin vodka martini, obviously. Mm-hmm. Slightly wet. So like a little bit of vermouth shaken with a twist. That's very specific. It is very specific. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so uh, let's see. What other questions do I have? I think we answered everything. Um, if you could wear one piece of jewelry for the rest of your life and drink just one drink for the rest of your life, what would it be for both of them and why? <laughs> so it would be these earrings. Yeah. For the reasons that I explained earlier, just I'm I'm very classic, and partially because I think that there's better value for money in that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not like a trendy person because I'm like this is going to go out of style. So yeah, diamond studs I feel like will never go out of style, so that's why. And then if I had to pick, I can only pick one. Only one. I feel like you're asking me to like pick <laughs> which parent I love more. <laughs> okay, two. <laughs> so it would, be, it would be what I said. It would yeah. be it would be a Kasama rum Filipino daiquiri and a Chopin vodka potato. Martini. Okay, so we'll give you two just depending on the vibe and the mood. Depending on the vibe <laughs> and the mood, am I am I in a city location or am I in a tropical location? Right, you're not going to drink a martini like on the beach, on the right? Beach, no, no, you can't do that. But that's my that I I I dwell in the cities, mm-hmm. but I want to be on the beach, so it's it's a dichotomy. I agree totally. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this was so much fun. I can't wait to try some Kasama next time I'm out. I'm hopefully I can order it and get. Yeah, you can. Um, and tell everyone where we can follow you, where we can follow your journey, and um, please follow me on Kasama Rum, or rather at Kasama Rum on yep. Instagram. Obviously, we have a website kasamarum.com where you can find the store nearest you. Yeah, so please follow me. We're having a good time on social media. It's a very tropical vibe. I can't wait. I'm so excited for the summer and to drink my Kasama rum. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's so much fun. 
What a great conversation. What engagement ring and drink pairing is your favorite?